So I know as a ruckus maker, you have done great things for your kids. You've opened many, many doors. You've exposed them to new and interesting opportunities, right? College visions, STEM fairs, all this kind of stuff. Imagine for a second that you hyped up an event. You had your students work really hard to earn the right to go. And then you worked with the event organizers, right? For your kids to be there, only to find out that they would uninvite your students. Not because they did anything wrong, not because anything other than the color of their skin. And imagine that this happened not 1940s or 50s or 60s or pick any date, but within recent years. Imagine that. Well, you don't have to imagine much longer because this happened to my guest and her students. And we're going to start with that story. And we're going to talk today all about why it's so important to create equitable experiences for students of color, specifically in the STEM industry. Hey, it's Danny. I'm a chief ruckus maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools, principal development and retention expert, best-selling author, and I host two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you've made three commitments. You have decided to invest in your continuous growth, challenge the status quo, and design the future of school right now. And we'll be right back after some quick messages from our show sponsors. Hey, Ruckus Maker, I'll make this quick. If you're listening to this message right now, you're missing out. When you subscribe to the Ruckus Maker newsletter on Substack, you get access to microbooks focused on how to do school different, tools and other resources that will help you make a ruckus and do school different, stories and case studies of the world's most legendary ruckus makers of all time, access to my calendar to schedule coaching sessions, and you'll also get bonus podcast content that won't be released on the main podcast feed and podcast episodes without any advertisements. So if you love this show, if it's helped you grow, and you want access to more tools and resources that will help you make a ruckus and do school different, and become a paid subscriber at ruckusmakers.substack.com. That's ruckusmakers.substack.com. What do the most effective leaders all have in common? After coaching and mentoring thousands of school leaders, I've identified seven key areas that make ruckus makers highly effective. When you download the school leadership scorecard, you will identify the highest leverage opportunities for you to grow in the next 90 days. And you can complete this tool in 10 minutes or less. Get your free copy of the School Leadership Scorecard at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash scorecard. How would you like to increase student talk by an average of 40%? More student ownership, more student discourse. Check it out for yourself by trying out TeachFX. Go to teachfx.com forward slash betterleaders to pilot their program today. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? 
I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Well, hey, Ruckus Makers. Today we are joined by Dr. Lena Bakshi-McLean, who's the founder of STEM for Real, a nonprofit professional learning organization committed to combining STEM and standards-based content learning and leadership with principles of justice-centered pedagogy. She currently serves as the Director of Multicultural Education and Equity for the National Science Teaching Association. Lena has worked with pre-service teachers at UC Berkeley and Claremont Graduate University, teaching STEM methods and universal design for learning. She is also the author of the children's book, There's Something in the Water, a story that highlights the real life of Dr. Tyrone B. Hayes, an endocrinologist from UC Berkeley. As a woman of color and a mom of two girls, access and opportunity in STEM are personal in STEM. We must create an identity in STEM. Her doctoral dissertation was on the successful implementation of STEM initiatives in lower-income schools. Lena travels the world as a keynote speaker, inspiring audiences in education, leadership, and technology to think about equitable STEM education and how to ensure access for all. Her next book, Teaching and Learning in STEM, hashtag for real, will be coming soon in October of 2024. Dr. Bakshi McLean, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm so excited. I'm a big fan of your show, and it's great to, to be here and to make a ruckus. Making a ruckus is what it's all about. So thank you so much um, again for being here. And I want to I start with a story, Lena, where uh, there was a computer science fair, and students were being uninvited from that experience. What was going on there? It was so wild. Every time I look back and I think about that story, it was so exciting to have this opportunity to work with the students from the court and community schools and teach them coding. So people Hmm. in our group, in our department, they were working with them one-on-one, hands-on, working on computer science, on app development and whatnot. And we were hosting the first and unfortunately last computer science fair. And one of the one of the takeaways was to have students from the court and community schools attend the fair and present their work as well. And in the planning and the development, everyone was really excited. And all of a sudden we started hearing whispers of, is there going to be enough security at the university? Have we connected more with the, with the chief of police? What's going on? And next thing you know, it was a very surreptitious, why don't we just not have them this year? And we can just revisit it next year. And so that's what happened. That, that was an actual memo that got sent out and sent up the chain and said, we're going to uninvite these students, especially after the hard work that they put in and so we just had to live with that that decision. And we thought, wow, is this really happening in in big century? Right. Yeah, that that's wild, unfortunate, horrific. I mean, there's so many uh words I can use there. What was it like? Uh I mean, did the students find out? Like how'd you bounce back from this? 
I'm so grateful. I really hope the students never found out. I really hope that we shielded them from the disgrace that occurred that adults were responsible for. So if anything, as much as I tell and retell and recount this horrific story, I really hope that it never um, gets to the ears of these students because they did nothing. They were just so, so great. So, so great, so gracious. And, And the great part about the story is that it was a happy ending and then they ended up at the computer science fair. However, yes, definitely ruckus were made. Yeah, well, tell us about how you did make a ruckus and how the system responded because you said there was a happy ending, which is great. And uh, I wouldn't have expected that, but looks like you made it happen. Yeah, I was so grateful to have a united front in terms of the department that we were in, kind of middle Mm -hmm. management there. And we all said, you know, this is wrong. We can't sit here and have this mission and vision for serving underserved minorities and youth. And yet here we are attempting to serve them and decisions like this are happening. So people one by one collectively saying, this is the data. This is what's happening. This is what's not happening. And it was really nice to have a team all have that united front to be able to say this is not okay. And but it did not go well. So when we when we did speak up, there was pushback, especially from the higher levels when they said, you know, this is a decision that was made already. This doesn't involve you. There were a lot of closed session, closed doors meeting, closed door meetings that were occurring. And, and that's where we had to really push back and push the doors down and say, hey, I really hope that they are getting invited. There were some text messages, you know, so... All that to say that we really had to push and fight. Yeah, push it, fight, advocate, you know, for what was right. If you had one piece of advice for a leader who is doing great things for kids and especially kids of color and they find themselves with the, the force of the system pushing against them, what would be that piece of advice, right? So that they could have the positive outcome that you had. I always tell people... If you're doing this work with a squad, this is going to help you when you like when you encounter moments like this, when Mm. something happens, because I look back at that time and I just happened to have, you know, my Justice League, my squad that was doing this work embedded in in learning about equity, understanding the nuances and the the complexities around it. And so when one person says, hey, this isn't okay." There's a domino effect. Like, yeah, that's not okay. What's going on? I don't know what if I had encountered that situation and it was just one voice. It was just me that the bravery necessary in being able to stand up. So I always tell uh, the leaders that I work with, find your squad, find your people. 100%. You know, I say, uh, well, I don't say Greg Sacciacoli wrote a book, The Enemies of Excellence. And the number one enemy, he, he talks about 10, but the number one, is isolation. So you got to find your squad because we're better together, right? And doing hard things is so much easier with the support of community. So you you mentioned Justice League though, Lena, right? So does that mean you're a DC girl? Like you didn't say Avengers and Marvel. And I don't know if they, I don't know if that's a thing or just the metaphor you used. I, you know, I, I have to dabble, you know, every single other yeah. movie, it's a Marvel movie. So I, the territory. Mm-hmm. Well, I just love, you know, that idea of being able to come together 
in a collective fight, in a collective effort. And that is so much of what we do, especially in our niche of education and educational justice and liberatory education. I love that. And one more just fun fact, because I I have to get it out of my system. So I apologize, but I love comics, right? And I read them still. I have two Spider-Man toys that I'm looking at. And uh, anyways, Eisner Awards for 2023, DC had way more nominees than Marvel. But, you know, Marvel has figured out probably with Disney's help, the formula for a great movie. And that's why they just keep cranking them out because we consume them like crazy. So I promise, I think, I hope that's the last comic book reference. I want to I want to make this show about you. But I have to add to your comic book references, the idea of representation. And Mm. I remember, you know, seeing an Asian American man, seeing Black Panther, being able to see ourselves in Marvel. It's great. And it, it just does a lot for, you know, what we want. And of course, there's nuances when you look at the storyline and like, well, they could have done this and they could have done that. Well, if they're doing it and we're starting the conversations of having representation. 100%. Yeah, representation so, so important. That's why, you know, BLBS, we have two women's focus groups. We're launching, I'm so excited, our first BIPOC cohort for our community. And, uh, you know, it's just great places for people to plug in, to feel safe. Representation matters. So 100%. So let me ask you this then, because... You know, there's a connection to what we were just talking about in terms of that um, computer science and the kids were uninvited, but we had a positive outcome at the end. And, and you said on, on paper, right, like the vision was folks wanted this equitable, like, you know, experience and all this kind of stuff. But then in reality, we're talking about police and uninviting kids and this it's just crazy. But what's what's going on there? You know what I mean? When, when you have the vision that's saying the right stuff, but in practice, it doesn't exist. I think, and, I, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think as, as leaders, we have an attachment to our title. We have mm-hmm. an attachment to, I'm the assistant superintendent of curriculum okay. instruction. I'm the, you know, principal of this school district and this, this school. And, and with, a, you know, completely understanding the plight of being able to go through the system, get your credentials, go through all of the interviews just to finally make it. And then the risk of jeopardizing it so that because you know what's right, I think there's a lot of that complacency and just, well, let's just kind of be quiet, go under the radar and not make a ruckus, not ruffle any feathers. And I think that is exactly what keeps the system in the system that it's in. Just, I'm just going to stay here and I'm just going to do my thing. No one asks questions. Everyone's happy. I get my paycheck. Right. So correct me where I'm wrong because I'm still a little fuzzy. You're saying like because of the title, people are, are, are comfortable maintaining the status quo because that won't threaten... I guess, career aspirations and, and, and what they've worked so hard to attain. Is that what exactly. you're sharing? Exactly. Um, like, and, and then, you know, because the title comes with so much. It comes with uh, the career aspirations. It comes with yeah, the power. Yeah. It comes with the, the corner office, perhaps. So, so much comes with that. And, of course, the fight and the hill to get there, yeah. that is, it's very difficult to say, hey, I don't think we should do this. I always say one of the, one of the quotes that I always tell people is, are you going to sit down in compliance or are you going to stand up for justice? 
And mm. when you take a stand, that comes with a risk. That comes with being ready to detach from your title. And I can speak personally. I was, you know, senior program director of science. Wonderful. Mm. It sounded beautiful at the county office of ed. And, uh, and that came with, well, do I want to face that title? And am I willing to risk it? And at the time when I did risk it, I didn't have a family. I was, I was, sure. I had, I had fewer, you know, I, I had, I had room for risk, let's just say. Gotcha. And so I look back and I think, would I have done it again? And I, I think the answer is absolutely because now that I'm a mother of two children, I have to stare my children in their faces. Yes. I want them to know, hey, this is what mommy's been doing all day and this is why. You know, I, I tell t- leaders, right? Like, I mean, you, you got to, you, you put your head on the pillow, you got to be able to sleep at night type of thing, right? So are, are your actions in alignment with your values and that kind of thing? And there's an author, John Amici, a former uh, NBA player as well. But he said, people make choices, make culture, you know? And I think that's what you're talking about. And one more just sort of a, a meta insight for the person watching our podcast or listening, what Lena's talking about, you know, People make choices, choices make culture here. And as leaders, you got to define like the um, the continuum and where people are. So you said you could, I think you said sit in compliance or stand in justice. Is that what you said? Yeah. And uh, one that I, the tension I'm often playing with, I call it play it safe principles. Those maintaining the status quo versus the ruckus makers who are designing the future of school and challenging the status quo. So as leaders, you got to make those distinctions. And I, I really love that sit or stand, you know, uh, that resonates with me. So it's a, it's a beautiful idea. I appreciate you sharing that. So let me ask you, um, how a focus on testing and assessment actually can divide students of color from accessing great science programs? That is such a great question, Danny, because again, as, as leaders, we're always looking at the test. Even if we say we're not teaching to the test, we really secretly want to. <laughs> we want those test scores. Right. And the research shows focus on the whole child, focus on dynamic instruction, look at teaching a well-rounded set of instruction, thinking about the arts, thinking about science, thinking about music, mm. and you'll get there. So we have this set of research that supports that work. And yet here we are taking emerging bilinguals and emerging multilingual learners, taking them out of the classroom during science to give them more reading or to take students that are struggling in math and giving them hmm, more math. You know, just all of these systems and practices that are not aligned to the research, but we're in that desperate, you know, striving for those test scores instead of going back to the whole child. And what happens is unfortunately STEM and science are the first programs to get cut because yeah. there's no, they're not tested as often. They're not tested as heavily mm. as mathematics and ELA. And then you see, especially in lower income school districts, that is where students, especially students of color, they're now losing their access to rigor and relevant STEM instruction. And we're actually having principals inform and direct their teachers not to teach science and not to teach STEM because you don't have time for that. So focus more on reading, writing, and math. And 
less or not even science at all. There's so much to say to that. The one anecdote I will share, I remember being in Chicago public schools and to your point, they were worried about scores, right? Test scores. And so the brilliant solution was just let's add more instructional minutes for where our scores are low. But they didn't change the core, which is the quality of the instruction happening, right? So just more of what you're already doing isn't going to create a similar result. And they did cut sciences and this kind of stuff. And they did cut the arts, right? And PE. But the interesting thing about the folks that made that decision, their kids didn't go to the public schools. They went to the, you know, these private institutions that had an abundance of the whole child experience. And it's just this, you know, it's the two systems type of thing. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. Yeah, but that's the one thing I relate to. So let's get into your framework, though, the STEM for real framework. I'm really curious about that. And so what goes into the framework? Yes, yes. Well, I also want to add about chronic absenteeism. Mm, and okay. this idea that, oh my gosh, well, well, what if we made instruction fun again? And we focus on that. Like, imagine what happens when students that actually want to come to school. And that's exactly the basis of our framework. And we started out with connect, create, cultivate. And that first part is connection. And not just connecting with our students, it's connecting with our families as well. Mm. And a lot of family and community engagement has been relegated to the counselors or the administration. And we want to bring that family and community engagement back to the teacher as well. And so I'm sure teachers listening, they're like, are you serious, Lita? Not another thing on our plate. But I remember going to a conference early on in my career and a teacher, and it was on parent and family engagement. And the teacher said, what if I don't have time to call the parent? And the presenter said, you don't have time to not call the parent. Right. And that was my moment of, wow, if I just take this opportunity to establish connection with parents and establish that invitation into the learning space, into my learning space that I get to create for our culture, it really changes the game for the rest of the year. And so that's what I wanted to build in. And then as a pre-service teacher, we got to learn about our students through an ethnographic experience. So understanding the students, their families, their hopes and dreams, understanding the context of our school and the community, the history of the community, and all of that really contributed to the teacher that I became. And I thought, well, why don't we stop after pre-service teaching? Like, this is such a great practice. Mm -hmm. And that's the formation of the connect. And I think especially with social emotional learning and establishing, again, going back to the whole child, looking at MTSS frameworks on uh, academic behavior, social emotional, all of that boils down to getting to know your students and their family. That's our first main bucket. Got it. Connect, create, cultivate. A lot of emphasis on connect. Uh, you develop those relationships. Everything else is going to flow out of that, right? And so it's one of those, if you don't address it because you think it's extra or something more to do in the absence of those relationships, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle all year. So would you rather do that or actually take the time, establish really strong relationships and maybe we go 
downhill. Can you imagine a school year where it's actually easier because you have those relationships set up? So Exactly. And that's where the create comes in. Because now... Yeah, tell me more. How is that connection? We know about our students. We know about the families. And the most important part is that we know about the cultural capital that students can now bring in to the classroom and to the learning experiences. So now teachers and leaders, we can create a our what we call our 3B, 5E. What are students doing? What do they need to know? And how are they thinking about their instruction? And then that goes right into all the principles of universal design for learning, engagement, action and expression, representation, all of that, all these frameworks, I would call it, you know, TMI, too many initiatives. But it can come together in our create. And that's really the basis of our culturally responsive instruction and culturally relevant instruction. It's going from connect to create. We get to create the lessons, observe each other, analyze student work, monitor our students longitudinally throughout the year. And then that leads right into cultivate, where are we cultivating a sense of belonging? Based on teacher yes. observation, student observation, our students, do they feel like they belong? Are they participating? Are there academic discourse supports? Are the students doing the heavy lifting of the sense-making? And most importantly, which I think is a little bit of our not-so-secret sauce, and that is reflecting on our own implicit and explicit biases mm. in the instruction. And that can really get at the principles of anti-racism, anti-bias, justice-centered pedagogy, and really looking at that liberatory experience for our students. Awesome. Well, I want to dig more into belonging in just a second, but we're going to pause here to get some messages in from our sponsors. Awesome. What do you see in your classrooms? And how did you see it? As a principal, you can't be everywhere at once. So how can you help support every teacher in the building? With TeachFX, teachers can gather their own feedback without relying on classroom observations. The TeachFX instructional coaching app is like giving every teacher their own instructional coach whenever they want it. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers. Visit teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to learn how. That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. As students progress through their K-12 experience, schoolwork only gets harder and more complex. Yet at the same time, students are asked to be more independent in their learning. Young people struggling with executive functioning skills will fall further and further behind. The pandemic, let's be real, it's only made things worse. The remedy is found in equipping students with executive functioning skills. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course, and it teaches you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set up your students for success. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go and start setting up your students for success today. Again, that's over at organizedbinder.com slash go. All right, we are back with Dr. Bakshi McLean from STEM for Real. And recently we were just discussing your framework, Connect, Create, and Cultivate. And you were talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is this idea of belonging. So can you riff a little more on how STEM for Real helps schools create more belonging for students? I will, of course. I know you're a storyteller and I am too. 
So I will go ahead and start with a story from one of our, uh, we call them netties, people in our temporal network, they're netties. And one of our teachers, she said, Nina, I was looking at the data in our lesson study cycle. I was uh, reflecting on uh, a lot of the issues that I was having. And when I did my grades, I noticed that I gave that a lot of across the board, her black students received unsatisfactory marks on Mm. her, on their report card. Now this teacher could have done one of two things. She could have easily said, Black students are so misbehaved and blah, 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 which is unfortunately a lot of the rhetoric that happens. And it leads into so many of the detrimental stereotypes that that sit on the shoulders of our students of color. So she could have easily gone down that road and she didn't. She said, Lena, in this work, I stopped and I interviewed every single one of my students. And I just wanted to talk to them and say, So what is it like being in this class? What can I do to support your learning? And each and every one of those conversations led to just, wow, no one has ever, her her students never experienced a teacher just asking that question. Yeah. And so I don't know if that is the be all and end all and the one, you know, solution. However, that's a solution that worked for this teacher where she took the time to reflect and to take a risk, to try something new, to innovate. And I think that is what we want to inspire in our teachers and in our coaches is being able to have that innovation and that risk taking to dismantle so many of the stereotypes that exist. And now she cultivated her sense of belonging. Beautiful. Any last ideas, Lena, in terms of uh, making a ruckus in education? to help rebuild it better and more equitable? I always say when, so we, when we, when we work with our leaders, especially, we say, you know, the system has been built on the basis of inequity. You go all the way back to Thomas Jefferson and it was the scholars versus the laborers, you know, and then you, you travel down history even more to, Brown versus Board of Education. There's our history is on a rocky foundation when it comes to our school. And so one of the things that I always work with, with leaders is being able to recognize, dismantle and rebuild. So recognizing the inequities that exist. We can't be a ruckus maker if we go in and saying, you know, I don't see color. Everything's great. Yeah, right. and we just need to be more engaging, you know, like the, the toxic positivity that, that's in there. We want to be able to truly recognize the issues. And then, of course, dismantle, which is not a new word to ruckus makers. We're essentially going in, you know, with a baseball bat or something and just breaking down these systems that aren't serving our students. And of course, when you're making a ruckus, it's, it shouldn't, it should feel messy. And, and so going back to any last ideas on making a ruckus, it's, does it feel easy? Because if it feels too easy, I would encourage and maybe challenge our ruckus makers to think about where can they push back more? Where can they push harder? And where can we see these inequities? Because it should feel messy. It should feel like a ruckus. You should see it smoke. 
Well, Lena, you can put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day. What would your message read? It's always standard plus justice. I always tell people at any educator I work with, you don't have to choose. If there's an equity conference and a conference of content, I challenge us to take those two ideas and combine them. Combine them so that we're not choosing between standards and justice. We can do both and we can achieve both. You're building your dream school from the ground up. You're not limited or constrained by any resources. Your only limitation is your ability to imagine. So how would Lena build her dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? All right, ready for this. So principle one, I want us to put justice at the forefront. And when I think about justice, you know, before I used to say social justice, but now I think about racial justice, climate justice, liberatory education. Thinking about do students have a just pathway in their learning? And then going back to uh, number two, well-rounded instruction. Do not take away STEM, uh, science, art, music, the things that students love and probably the most engaging aspects of instruction. Don't take it away in the name of math and ELA. See how we can create interdisciplinary and well-rounded instruction. And three, belonging. Always ensuring that your students feel a sense of belonging, whether they're connected to a mentor or whether they're connected to a group of students or anything, any sort of, any sort of idea where students are like, I feel like I want to be here. I have a sense of love. We covered a lot of ground today, Lena. So everything we discussed, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I really just want to reiterate this. And that is that I want to ask our fellow ruckus makers, where are they feeling like they want to speak up? And when they do want to speak up, what stops them? Because that is exactly, you know, what started my journey was I had the confidence in my squad and I had the, uh, what do you call, strength to actually answer the employee survey. I really thought that they wanted to know our thoughts, but they didn't. So I don't tell the last thought, the, the last takeaways would be, answer that employee survey. You let them know and know that, yes, it may come with consequences. However, if we're not fighting and if we're not taking up space, especially on behalf of our students, then who will? Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. How would you like to lead with confidence, swap exhaustion for energy, turn your critics into cheerleaders, and so much more? The Ruckus Maker Mastermind is a world-class leadership program designed for growth-minded school leaders just like you. Go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind. Learn more about our program and fill out the application. We'll be in touch within 48 hours to talk how we can help you be even more effective. And by the way, we have cohorts that are diverse and mixed up. We also have cohorts just for women in leadership and a BIPOC-only cohort as well. When you're ready to level up, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind and fill out the application. Thanks again for listening to the show. Bye for now and go make a ruckus. Oh,